Welcome to Paint Radio with your hosts, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Thank you, announcer guy. I'm Andrew Dwyer. Emily, did you know the announcer guy, I feel he's kind of a jerk. Now, I know we like him, but he did something that was really, I thought, rude, right? He's got this great voice. That's why we pay him thousands and thousands of dollars. But he's got this deep, beautiful, baritone voice. So I thought it'd be cool if he recorded the message on my voicemail on my phone. Yeah. Anything so, other than your voice is good. Exactly. So I send him, you know, my passcode. I'm like, oh, dial in and here's the code and leave a message. So he does that. I go back in to check. Let's just say it's not funny. And the things he said about me are absolutely not true. It's now on my outgoing message as well. It was rude, and I didn't find it funny. The guy is, uh, I think he's getting cocky, which I don't know anything about. I'm sure you don't. Because I'm salt of the earth humble. Uh Uh-huh. Speaking of salt of the earth humble, in the radio business, that's called a bad segue. This is obviously Paint Radio, but this is the ongoing series created and coined by Emily Howard called Lifestyles of the Prepped and finished, where we talk to contractors, not just about the work, but what they do outside of work, how their career enables them to have the life that they want. So we're super excited that the guy we're talking to today, Nick Slavic, of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration from New Prague, Minnesota. Nick, how are you, sir? Much better than I'm talking to you guys now. What a nice guy. I I tell you, the Minnesotans, they're just (laughs) nice people. Right? We are so passive aggressive. Don't let our, our nice nature fool you. We think many dark thoughts behind those kind words. So. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine that from you, Nick. Oh, you'll never hear about them. You'll never hear about them, but they're there. Also, speaking of nice people, I want to say that we are super excited. This podcast is sponsored by Data Color and their color reader. We're going to hear from Susan Bunting from Data Color later in the podcast. Uh, but if you're not familiar with color reader, go to datacolor.com slash APC. They've created a page just for us where they give you a lot of details about the color reader because Data Color actually creates a ton of different products. But for the painting industry, the color reader is awesome. So datacolor.com slash APC to hear all about the color reader. And we're going to hear from Susan later. Nick. Start off, give us the uh, the basic parameters, how long you've been in business, size of your business, how many people you employ, the type of work you do. Okay. I started painting when I was 10 years old with the family business, left my own family business. I've had my own business for over 12 years now. I started off as a one-man show and employ somewhere between about 15 and 20 people at the peak of the season. I usually try to keep 10 to 15 full-time year-round craftspeople. Wow. And you're primarily residential? Are we talking Re- high-end residential? Residential. Yeah, residential repaint. So we do just a lot of bread and butter stuff. So people would have you think I only work for rich people in in uh, super high-end mansions, but we do what almost every other painting company in the United States does, which is somebody has a home, they need something painted, they call us and we do it. And so the family business, was that a similar type operation, residential like commercial? On paper, yes. Um, it was a, uh, you know, it was a business very much of the last generation where there wasn't a computer involved. There wasn't a cell phone involved. There was no constant improvement. It was really the epitome of what the previous generation of small town contracting used to be, which isn't necessarily bad, hmm. but it's certainly out of step with what's going on right now. And is that business still operating? Do you have like siblings working in it? It is not. You know, my my father really didn't have a place for me in the business, so I was sort of forced to leave, um, you know, and start my own. And then, yeah, the business kind of dried up. Interesting. If I were Robin Williams and this was Goodwill Hunting, I would say, it's not your fault. And I would just keep repeating it (laughs) until you cry. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, ten years after, I yeah, there's there, you can imagine there's there's quite a few good stories. There's quite a few deep thoughts behind all that stuff. But yes, I w- I would agree. And after ten years of introspection, I do now realize that. And so, when you started your own business, was that? I mean, obviously, it's never easy. But was it just an absolute riddled path of challenges, or were you? Did it, it expand pretty much the way you'd, you'd hoped and liked and that you thought, okay, this was the right decision or was it the opposite and you were constantly second guessing and thinking maybe this was a bad idea, this isn't what I want to do? Talk a bit about no, that. No, I, I really had, honestly, in, in one of those things, I never gave it two thoughts. Like by the time I started my own business, I'd been a painter for 15 years. Every weekend, evening, vacation, summers, constantly improving the systems, uh, getting getting very proficient in the actual craft of painting. And honestly, I never gave it two thoughts. I mean, I, I went to college and specifically asked my father, you tell me how I can tailor an education to specifically help a small contracting business. And I did just that. So I came out of college ready for bear, ready to expand the family business, do great things. You know, I had a sibling too, and we were going to become this triumvirate uh, and do that. And I guess my father's plans were not that. And uh, so basically at that point, I had prepared my entire life to run a painting business and I just did it. I, I, I honestly never gave it second thought it was it was either that or yeah i don't know i don't even i didn't even have a second option that's great so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you've been doing this a long time and you're very very dedicated to it what what is it about painting that you love there is something about the immediate gratification thing there's something about the actual i love everything about residential architecture the beautification of it how it works the science behind it and I like this sort of aesthetic portion of it. Like electrical and plumbing is interesting to me, but I wouldn't take as much pleasure in wiring a house as I do with beautifying it. And there's something about my personality. And, and I don't think I got lucky that my biology and personality is perfectly set up for painting. And then magically, I grew up in a painting company. How lucky. Now, I, I, I understand that a lot of that can be bred. I do think I have just a lot of the traits that you know is good for this. I like business a great deal. I like the craft of painting. And I actually look forward to new coding systems and sciences. So in that way, I don't know if I was sort of, I don't know if that was always there. And I just got lucky to be in a painting business. Or if at such a young age, I was introduced to it that my life revolves around it. And I appreciate it. One of my favorite phrases is the art and science of something talking about uh, both the very quantitative aspects of things and the qualitative aspects of things. Art, of course, being qualitative, science being quantitative. And so you're right. I mean, I'm sure an electrical contractor would say, no, there's there's plenty of beauty and dance and art involved in electrocuting. I don't think that's the word they use in that industry, but electrifying, perhaps. <laughs> Let's stick with electrocuting. I think that talk about art. Just imagine that. But you're right. In, in the painting business, there is absolutely science, but there's also art and craft. And I should also go back. And if you haven't met Nick at a PDCA event or any event, the reason we like Nick is that he's just so darn approachable and he he's thoughtful and insightful, but he's just as interested in hearing your story as he is in telling his story. And so that's why he's perfect for Lifestyles of the Prepped and Finished. He loves what he does. Uh, and I'm talking about you in the third person because I'm talking to the millions of listeners we have across the universe, including Emily's family, that art, art. <laughs> I'm talking about the art and science. Nick loves what he does, but man, he wants to get better. He wants to do even better. Continuous improvement, lifelong learning. And that's why he's such a great PDCA member. That's why he's such an interesting guy to talk to. So, you know, last week 
as we were preparing for this momentous podcast that's definitely going to win us awards, I shot you an email <laughs> on a Friday afternoon, and I immediately got an out-of-office reply. And it said, Andrew, what did I tell you about emailing me? No, it didn't say that. <laughs> Who is this? What do you want? <laughs> right? it, said, it said, each Friday afternoon, Saturday and Sunday, I take time for family. I'll get back to you Monday. That was one of the coolest out of office replies. And I'll tell you, I'm somebody who likes to get a little saucy with their, uh, with the triple O's. Write it out. It actually is out of office. My triple O try is, is sassy. And I loved yours. It had some sass, but also that's what we're all about at Lifestyles of the Prepped and Finished. So talk to us about that message, not just the, the practicality of taking time off. When, how long you've been doing that? Does that go toward your philosophy? What's the Nick Slavic philosophy of painting that says, man, I got to push away from the desk, put down the brush and go hang out with family? I basically just treat everybody else how I want to be treated. And because I'm the only one doing sales for the business, I just want people to know that in the age of Amazon one click where you hit something and then you instantly get a reply and it shows up at your door. I want to be as up to speed as I can. So on Friday afternoons, when I take time for family, on weekends, when I take time for family, I just want people to know that when you did send me an estimate inquiry or you did email me, at least you get something back saying, hey, this is the reason why I'm not going to respond in the next two and a half days. And I understand the importance of taking time outside the business. And I've been doing that. But I just wanted other people to also realize that so they didn't think I think people are getting generally more impatient with this sort of thing. And I prefer that I actually like that. But just a simple automatic reply is sometimes as good as actually getting them an estimate. Well, and what a great cultural thing to do, right? I mean, I think I saw something on Facebook the other day that said, stop glorifying busyness. And oh, my gosh, that is, that. that is, mm. yes. And, and especially in the contracting world, the more you martyr yourself for this physically and mentally and everything else, hey, I work weekends, I work evenings, I'm doing 60 hours a week. I think there's a time and a place for that. Like mm -hmm. as a young contractor, that is the most valuable thing you can do. Break yourself to make people happy. Gain as many clients as you can. Leave a good reputation in your wake and just force majeure. Just get out there and get data, get get examples, get things. And then after that, then you have to start refining it, though, because, you know, like a lot of other contractors that are the generation above me, they sort of just did that till they got a knee replacement. And then that <laughs> business model doesn't work anymore. And I think this out of office reply is really a great illustration of how good you are at building culture because you've done it in your business and you're really, I mean, you've become quite an icon in the industry. Mm -hmm. You're building a culture in the industry. And I love that you're not doing it by saying, oh, I work 90 hours a week and I'm always here and I'll always answer everything and I'll do everything and I'll say yes to everything. Um, I love that you're putting that out there that you need to have that time with your family because it is so important. You only live once. I do clinically understand that that's a compliment, but it makes me very uncomfortable. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Take yeah, it, man. Is, I've never been is... complimented by Emily. <laughs> so this is impressive. Will. You never will. So <laughs> no, but it is because I think with that out of office reply, you really, you don't glorify busyness. You know, you, you glorify the balance of life, which is so important. Yeah. That's common in families, especially in, in parenting, because I've got three kids. It's very easy to become very busy, but it, I think it's also easy for families, intentionally or not, I think sometimes it's unintentionally, they become comfortable with the busyness. I don't, I wouldn't say it's thrilling, but they sort of, there's a certain energy, like, oh, we're so busy. 
but you're not really, uh, who am I to pass judgment on them? But when it comes to me and my family, I don't want to be busy. I want to have dinner together. I want to go on hikes. That's why I moved to Colorado Springs. I want to follow my own path. And so when I see that out of office message from you, it looks like, though you did actually end up replying to me, so it may have been a lie because you were not with family, (laughs) Nick. You ended up responding to me. So maybe it's a goal and a hope. And maybe do you struggle to actually get out of the office? No, not really. And, and you know, it, it's one of those, it's one of those things too, where it's like, you know, the last time I took sort of like a week, uh, long vacation to some tropical beach area, I spent 20 minutes in the morning just replying to a few things. And that's not selling your soul right. to the devil. Smart. You know, yeah. 20 minutes before everybody wakes up in the morning, I'd be sitting there having a cup of coffee anyway. And it, it's not laborious. I mean, I genuinely look forward to this stuff. So if 20 minutes a day, will solve some huge quandary or problem for yeah. somebody. That's easy. That should, yeah. That's so smart. I'm not one of those guys who is like, it's black and white. It's like, listen, when I do this, it has to 100% be not that, you know, 30 seconds for an email, not the end of the world. But again, if you're going to do that, that 20 minutes, you better make that count because don't busy yourself for 20 minutes. Do 20 minutes, respond to six very well-worded emails and move on. Don't, right. exactly. If you're going to do it, be present. Don't do it halfway. Agreed. Nice. Exactly. Well, back to this culture, because this is, Nick, I know you've you've worked very hard with the culture in your company. And as we've said, this, this article will actually be in our buyer's guide, which will be the hiring guide. So talk to me a little bit about how you've built the culture in your company. Uh, you know, it really does start with core values. So when you start getting into the soft, squishy arts of like these subjective things like culture and things like that, like accounting is one thing, it's very black and white, and it's really not that subjective if you do it right. Culture is another one of those sort of squishy things where it can get a little odd. And if you don't try to quantify it as much as you can, it can sort of be, if you want results from something, you're supposed to measure it. And it has to be measured. So core values is something I use to sort of create the basis for that. We have five in the company. Number one, and in order of importance, is gain and maintain trust. Number two is continuous improvement. Number three is quality always wins. Number four is discipline equals freedom. And number five is produce. And based on those five core values, I actually have questions and things to rate a human being in my business under each one of those core values. So instead of just saying, let's do good work, let's be good to each other, that's not something you can review somebody on unless they do insanely good or insanely bad. So we actually have a numbering system for each one of those core values and questions underneath it to to bring some quantification to that so you can measure it and then actually get a result from it. That's amazing. I don't, we're both kind of sitting here. Yeah, again, that's the, you you said... (laughs) quantify it. You're quantifying a a qualitative thing. That's pretty awesome. So explain to us, how has it worked? You don't simply use it to say, okay, this is a person who should stay with the company. I'm assuming you're, you use it to hire people who are kindred spirits, who share your outlook and it helps them understand and grasp the practicality of your vision. Is that, am I going down the wrong path? Exactly. And you want to make it as painless as possible. So the buzzword of, of 2018 and 2019 has been systems and processes. I mean, it's 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 almost becoming like a, the new painting business cliche, systems, processes, systems, processes. But it is the basis of all business. And when you're dealing with, again, the squishy stuff, the humans, the core values, the culture, the processes get harder and harder. But if you set up a simple system, I always think of it as creating the maze where people can only go through a few different ways. They can veer off and go this way, but really there's only a couple outcomes and you can steer them in the right way. So number one, 
filtering in the human beings that you want is number one. If you can just get rid of all the people with the potential problems you're trying to avoid right away, then you don't have to deal with all these problems later. You can just gather these people and work on improving what they're doing in your company. So there's probably two tiny little hurdles that people have to step over in order to sort of be considered to be hired. And number one is just respond to my ad. And my ad is a hurdle because it has some weird sort of art, artful sort of black and white picture in it. And it has wording that's not like any other paint business ad where it's basically just like, I'm just looking for decent human beings. If you make the cut, you know, you'll be a, a member of this family. Uh, you'll train under me. And, you know, it's basically stuff that doesn't appeal to the 58-year-old alcoholic burned out tradesman. They're not interested in that sort of thing. Who it interests is young people who maybe feel underappreciated at their jobs, somebody who's overperforming, but they don't feel like they're part of anything. And they actually want a skilled trade. And so that's that's hurdle number one. That gets rid of almost everybody you would actually consider an air quotes painter in our industry if you think about the stereotypical itinerant painter. And then number two, they actually have to fill out an application and send it to me. And by that point, they're probably 80% of the way hired just by having that ad appealed to them and then doing some basic thing like giving me information about themselves. And then after that, I found that you know the people who make it through those two tiny self-selecting hurdles, magic we're not running into a lot of my car doesn't start, I'm late, I throw cigarette butts on the ground, I swear, my uniform doesn't look good. Like all the basic things that most trades businesses have to deal with every day about maybe not trusting people that well, that all kind of goes away. And so typically, are you looking at people who also have a background in painting? Yes or no? I wish. Um, <laughs> I can't find any. So I right. you know, I started using this system because it's like, every, we've all heard this for a million years. It's, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a painter. I'm going to go work for Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I've been doing it for 20 years. Nobody's better than me. I need 35 bucks an hour. I won't roll out of bed. Uh, but right now I happen to be out of work. And they come work for you and they completely tank your culture. They're not a great fit for it. They're a little rough around the edges. They don't have a good work ethic. And what I found with a lot of these people is they can't even paint either. You know, they're way underwhelming with what they know about the painting or what they're able to produce. So I see that as sort of a generally lose-lose situation. So I just decided, you know, I think very highly of the business that I've created, but it's never going to be good enough to create decent human beings out of non-decent human beings. It can definitely make painters out of non-painters, but not the other way around. So why not start with just generally good people and then teach them the craft? Well, I'm the king of uh, awkward segues, so I'm going to jump in talking about good people. I mentioned at the beginning that we're sponsored by Data Color and their color reader. So we're going to jump real quick and talk to Susan Bunting from Data Color, and she's going to tell us again about the color reader and why it is a fabulous tool for painting contractors. Susan, tell us a little bit more about the color reader. The Color Reader is a highly accurate color matching tool painters can rely on to be more efficient. We know choosing the wrong color comes with many consequences, including wasted time and money, resulting in inconvenience for both the painter and their client. Color Reader's accuracy is the result of Data Color's over 45 years of leadership and expertise in color management technology. The Color Reader is remarkably lightweight and portable, making it easy to keep on hand when estimating a new project or during the job. 
Our color reader includes a free and easy to use mobile app with an array of features painters can use to simplify their work. You lay it flat on a surface and it shows you the top three closest paint colors across many different collections. The app also suggests coordinating colors. With our Color Reader Pro, you get access to trending colors. And it also gives the painter the ability to create, save, and share palettes with clients and the paint stores, which streamlines their process significantly. So no more lugging multiple fan decks to the job site. Everything you need is on your phone. It delivers exceptional utility and reliability in one compact precision instrument. We know customer trust is critical and their clients will be impressed by the smart technology and how it reduces room for error and makes jobs more efficient. When a painter uses the color reader, they can look and feel even more professional. You can close more jobs and focus on strengthening the relationships with your clients, which will lead to repeat jobs and more referrals. If you want to learn more about the color reader, visit datacolor.com slash APC. You know, the color reader really is a sharp tool. It's a fascinating technology. We actually did a video a few months ago with Mark DeFrancesca out of uh, a contractor out of New Jersey. And you can see that video at paintmag.com slash paint TV, where he walks through exactly how he uses the color reader on his job sites and how it helps him save time and money. It really fascinating stuff. So we're really glad to have Data Color as a sponsor. And again, as Susan mentioned, you can go to datacolor.com slash APC and find out more information. Susan, that's awesome. Thank you so much. We love our partnership with Data Color. And again, go to datacolor.com slash APC to learn more about Color Reader. Nick, back to you. So it's, I love listening to you talk about, you know, your employment ads and how you hire people. So this, this vision that you have of your culture and what the business is all about and what you want it to be, it's beautiful. How quickly did you come to that vision? Did it take several years or or was this just something that was kind of clear to you from the beginning? Yeah. So, I mean, very unsatisfying answer, but it's really unintentional. Like this is my natural inclination is to Mm. create something like this. And I did not know that until I met other paint business owners three or four years ago. And, you know, even up in Minnesota here, there's other paint business owners who have grown to many multi-million dollar companies based on subcontracting labor. They have a completely different business model. Couldn't be more opposite, but yet we all have the same goals. And that really told me like, okay, there's really not one way to do this. My natural inclination is to do this. And then, you know, you sort of ask yourself, is this an actual way to run a paint business? And if it is, let's try it. I think it's not unique, but I think I'm just good at sort of getting stuff done and following through. So I've probably taken this a little bit farther than a lot of other paint companies. I'm able to white knuckle through a lot of this stuff. Well, and I think it's nice if your culture and your image is unique, but it's not necessary. I think the only thing that's necessary is that it be authentic and real. That's why we do paint radio. That's why we talk to so many painting contractors. This is why we started Mission Vacation. You need to get away from your business. You need to take a long view. You need to think about what it is you want from your job and the career and what your dreams are. And then you have to really try to implement that vision because in your case, it's so authentic that it just, it becomes your brand and marketing authenticity is, is pretty simple because you don't have to fake it. It just comes naturally. And I, it's, it's tremendous that your vision of your, of, of your company plows the path for you to hire new people, but it also creates its own marketing and, and people are drawn to that because they can tell it's sincere and authentic. And I don't know why I'm being so nice to you, Nick. (laughs) 
It's unusual it's, for Andrew. It's making, me, it's making me super uncomfortable. Right? Especially with three of coworkers uh, with the same amount of niceties. So, uh, no, and you know, honestly, that's a, that's a really good observation. And when, when people say like, oh, you have good marketing, all I hear is you're consistent. And mm-hmm. when the face matches the website, matches the estimate, matches social media, there's nothing that you give people to not trust you. Like there's a lot of things where a van comes up and the logo doesn't match the website or the wording doesn't match how somebody steps out of the van and talks to you. And it's, I, I think if nothing else, consistency is way better than copying a successful version of somebody else. Exactly. Got to be authentic. Well, and then back to the, the hiring portion of all this. We all hear a lot about the hiring gap in the industry, that it's very difficult to find people to come work for painting companies today. Groups like USA Today don't make it any easier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are you I referring to, Emily? <laughs> so I saw, Nick, I think you posted about this too, right? USA yep. saying this is one of the top 10 worst jobs you can have. Yeah, you know what? I guess, yes. Part of me is like, obviously it's clickbait, but part of me is like, good, stay away. But then the other part is like, oh, that's too bad. Like, I get a lot of enjoyment out of this. That's too bad. I know. Well, you know what? At least they gave us like, they did. They gave us something to talk about. They gave us something to push back against. But but what is your message? Because I know you've done a really good job, not like we talked about earlier, creating a good culture for your own company, but you're really kind of pushing back to the industry as well and saying, we have this problem that not a lot of people are wanting to come into the painting industry to work. And it's our job to fix that problem. So what's your message to to business owners there about hiring outside the industry and training this craft that you've dedicated your life to? Well, I know that you guys have seen, you know, the master's class on modern apprenticeship, and it's super heavy data laden uh, with statistics and stuff that actually prove that all the things you just said are right. There's just less people interested. And a three hour master's class distilled down to a couple sentences would be, number one, you don't have to look any farther than my father's generation of contractors. Like my, my father was not happy and not very well off. He didn't own a computer and he didn't own a cell phone. He's not one of those grumpy old guys who's like, oh, I don't like using my cell phone. He doesn't own one and has no intention of owning a cell phone or a computer in his lifetime. And he's operating in the world of Amazon one click. So you look at that example and then you, you start thinking, well, obviously young people aren't getting into the trades. Right. My father's not happy. He's not very well off and he's not out there advocating for the trades either. Why would a young person ever get into this? You know, they see my, my father's basically a robotic human now, a neck fused, shoulder replacements, knees replaced, everything else, and kind of has nothing to show for it at the end of his life, give or take. So I don't blame the young people for not doing it. So basically the call to action is, okay, we've lost a generation, basically. That's no problem. But if we start now in 20 years, this won't be a problem again. If you think about how Silicon Valley has done the best PR campaign ever for computer coding. Like, could you imagine anything more boring than computer coding? No. But yet it's the sexiest job on the face of the planet. There's foosball tables, there's beanbag chairs, open offices. Young people are flocking into this to do one of the most boring, menial things on the face of the planet because they have great examples of success and uh, happy people out there. So I, it's, it's our generation of contractors' task to be happy, to be well off, run real businesses, and we'll set the groundwork for the next set of young people who are looking to the trades. Right. Well, and you, and we've seen not only you, but a number of other contractors that we've spoken to are building businesses 
that I don't cater to is probably the wrong word, but, but you're building businesses that are good for the employees who come to work for them. So it's not necessarily just an hourly job where you're going to learn on the job only and you're out of work for the winter, but actually a good solid career with a career path that you can build a life and a career around. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, one of the interesting things that I run into with a bunch of young contractors is, you know, I don't want to get big. I want happy clients or, or people seem like they have this dichotomy to choose where I can either be a good painter or I can actually make money. And I know, and you guys know, so many examples in this industry where that's not the case. I think it's an excuse if you think you have to choose one or the other. So my perception is that all this systems and processes and businesses and opportunities, that's what every other industry air quotes, real business does in the United States. It's just we're probably lagging 10 to 20 years behind that. And we're still kind of really hobbyists that happen to have to charge for our stuff. And I think that's changing. And, and within the next 10 years, I think what these real business acumen that are floating around the rest of the United States are actually going to become very commonplace and maybe even the standard in the trades like this. And Nick, we don't want to give listeners who have not met you the wrong impression that your life is nothing but snow cones and sunshine. So, I mean, I know you've got challenges like we all do. Would it be fair, would it be accurate to say that, that you would like your business to be larger than it is and that you're, you're efforting to, uh, to enlarge the business? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a dual track sort of thing where people say, well, what's the end game? Like, how big are you going to get? What are you going to do? And I'll basically say, as long as we can do good work, I'm just going to keep going. And we're going to find out where those systems and processes fail, but we're just going to keep going because there's really not a lot of questions in coding science left for me anymore. And I'm a constant improvement kind of guy. And so I'm going to take all the effort that I would have applied for researching, you know, coding systems. And now we're going to do some entrepreneurship with it and creating opportunities for other people and, and giving people the opportunity to love their job as much as me is kind of important to me. And that's actually something I would be proud of at the end of all this. If I could have provided hundreds of, of jobs to people over the years or opportunities to people that actually sparked the love like I have. Well, and that that's that's a good segue too into the lifestyles portion because you, you know, you've got, what'd you say, 15 to 20 people at, at peak season. And I'm curious, life outside of the painting business. So all of this hiring and training and teaching that you've done, what has it allowed you in your in your personal life? Yeah, so unlike communication, I don't see business communication as a light switch where you either have to do a lot of it or not any of it and, and put a wall up. With my personal life, I'm, I'm really much more like that. Like I, I do a certain thing, I devote time to that, and then I don't devote time to that. So I think I benefit from the fact that I love this business so deeply, just all the inner workings of how money comes in, money comes out, the craft gets applied, human interactions. I get just as much enjoyment out of that as a lot of my old hobbies. So my day is divided up between about four and eight in the morning. I, I do as much work that doesn't involve other humans as I can. From about eight to four, I get out there and make sure everything runs right. And then from four o'clock until whenever my kids go to sleep, it's family time. So what I'm probably not getting is a whole bunch of downtime for myself to do stuff. But mm -hmm. I really enjoy family stuff. I really enjoy this business and the craft of it. And that is satisfying me right now. And then obviously, Friday afternoons and the weekends is zero of that stuff, basically, and just devoted to family time. And, and we mix in some hobbies there. Nice. So how many now, Nick, how many kids do you have? We have four. They're all under 10. Oh, wow. Lots of small children. 
running around Life small children and uh it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing where we're actually starting to mix in a lot of the hobbies so i'm i'm a big outdoors kind of guy anything we can do outside we're doing and now my kids are old enough where we can mix in a lot of that so i'm getting to scratch that itch where you know when people say well i want to watch football or i want to fish or i want to do that we i can mix in enough hobbies now with my kids where I, i'm scratching that itch nice what are some of their favorite outdoor hobbies to do I very much enjoy any sort of animals and plants and this and that and in any capacity. So I enjoy hunting. I enjoy fishing. I also enjoy just walking around. Uh, we have a little hobby farm outside of my hometown, and it's basically a mini biome with a, a, a biome of Minnesota. We got the babbling brook. We got a pond. We got woods. We got wetland. We got native prairie. And we have uh, everything out there is managed for wildlife. So it's basically this wild zoo for my kids to play out there and endlessly fascinated with anything outdoors. Love it. So meaning is that your property or is that like a park? My wife and I bought that about five oh, years ago. And, nice. Uh, yeah. So it used to be a tiny little farm. And then uh, we, it was actually settled back in the 1850s by a German family. And uh, there's still some buildings out there from it. But basically, we manage it for animals where if there's something we can do to get more and different animals out there, we do it. And, and it's been working out very well over the last bunch of years. It was originally owned, I believe, by the Schrute family. It was a beet farm. Yeah. It was a beet farm, yes. <laughs> what so wait, Nick, what kind of what kind of animals do y'all get out there? So obviously we get the we get the deer and the pheasant. Those are the main things that we manage for. Um, we have uh, tons and we've we've increased our pheasant population probably tenfold over the last five years with managing forage for them and food and things like that. The deer have been multiplying like crazy. We get geese, we get sandhill cranes that live out there now and have their broods every year. And then every other forest critter you can imagine that the raccoons come out every night, we get the possums, we got trail cameras all over. So at night, every week, I probably get about 30 images of crazy stuff happening at night on that farm. I think it was last year, we got this one really weird picture of something that looked like either a very small bobcat or a very large house cat. And people actually thought it might have been like a cougar or or a, or a bobcat or something coming wow. through. That would be very unique. <laughs> Man, I could talk possum for another 30 minutes, but I'm going to really resist that urge. <laughs> and, and then we can get into recipes, too. <laughs> I tell you, Nick is the best. That was a that time went by very quickly. I know, too fast. It's a sign of a good podcast. Nick, you're awesome. Love hearing your insights. Love hearing your enthusiasm for life, enthusiasm for what you do, your interest and willingness to get better. In your case, also trying to get bigger. We like to think that you're like the prototypical APC reader because you love what you do, you love the industry, and you love your peers, um, and you want to help and you want to benefit from all those resources because that's what APC is. We are a resource and we want people to avail themselves of that resource. Go to paintmag.com slash paint radio and you can listen to other podcasts. Emily, how are we doing on creating that page that has nothing but my columns? Is that up yet? I, I know we've had some technical difficulties for some reason. We're working on it. It's, I can't believe it's taken this long 2030 to do that. 2030 ish. Really? So what we're thinking? I just feel like that would be such a wonderful resource for people, and they're they're missing out. Okay, so you're working hard on that. Yep. Okay, that's exciting. That's exciting. Again, I want to thank our sponsor, Data Color, and their color reader. Go to datacolor.com/apc for more information. Thank you to Susan Bunting for spending some time with us. Nick, man, have an awesome summer with the kids, with the family, with the business. I hope the freezer is full of pheasant. I should mention, I'm not a good hunter and a fisherman. I just enjoy it. So, yes. But thank you guys for the opportunity.
That's what it's all about, man. Thanks Enjoyment. for joining us. I, don't, I just enjoy doing this. Nick, you're, it's a pleasure to spend time with you. Uh, like I said, have a great summer. Everybody out there, we hope you have a wonderful summer. Lean into it. Find the time that you can take off for your pursuits, for your family, to do what fills your tank, whether that's Friday afternoon, whatever it is. Be meaningful. Lean into it. Chart your course. That's what it's all about here at APC. Thanks for listening to Pay Radio. 